you have an abundance mindset, you know that there are a million other clients out there or there are a million other partners or a million other firms that will see your value. That you don't need to take every crumb that's put in front of you. You can pick and choose. Welcome to the Get Clear with Crystal Ware podcast, the place where we get clear on our goals, own our worth, and learn to be the CEOs of our own lives. I'm your host, Crystal Ware, lawyer and former Fortune 500 corporate leader who found the confidence to say goodbye to a lucrative career and start my own business. Now I'm opening up the playbook and sharing everything I've learned to get you there faster. It may not be easy, but it will always be worth it because you are made for more. So put on your big girl pants, jump on board, and let's reach for the stars. Are you ready to get clear? Welcome back, friends. Today on the show, we are going to rock your world with Patricia Baxter. She is a managing partner at Morgan and Aikens. She has been in it and all around the legal world. But what we brought her on today was to talk about so many interesting things in law firm life corporate career development, being a female. She is an author, investor, mom of two. So she is really doing it all and is going to have so many great insights. Welcome to the show, Patricia. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Crystal. I'm so excited. When we had our off podcast conversation, I knew we would click. I love you. I love what you're doing. So thank you for having me on. Yeah. Well, we're so excited and and so thankful because without guests like you, you know, it's really hard to bring that spirit and the stories. And I think it's really meaningful for women to see other women in all different facets of life, seasons of life, doing different kind of things. Because when you see other people doing what you're hoping to do or what you have in the back of your mind and aren't sure is possible, then you see that it's, it is truly possible. And so that is what is so important to us. So Let's jump right in and tell us a little bit about your background. You know, did you always want to be a lawyer? How did you get into it? How did you come to being managing partner? How, how, where did Patricia come from and how did you get to where you are today? What a great question. So I will start off by saying I'll be 50 in May and I've had many seasons in my life and they've had twists and turns. So, uh, I started out in college, um, really with a strong feminism core, uh, wanting to get out and help women. I took a lot of women's studies and feminist course, feminist courses in college, and that pushed me to law school. And I had this dream of coming out of law school and taking a job with various women's advocacy groups. And that did not happen. So <laughs> I went to law school uh, and had such a great time in law school, but got out and with debt and a, a lot of debt and looking at the salaries of women's advocacy groups and just, I couldn't do both. Like when you're, when you're making like a $3,000 loan payment and your salary is $3,000 a month, you just can't do it. So I went to uh, defense litigation, civil defense litigation, and that's where I stayed and that's where I'm at now. So uh, it really was with the intention of helping women. And I have found through my course of my seasons and career that the helping of women just did, doesn't didn't look like what I thought it would look like. So I thought it would be going out and working at women's advocacy groups. And what I found was actually just getting into a predominantly male profession and being a woman and helping other women come up through the ranks and 
um, it, that's kind of where I've, I've been. So I worked about, for about 15 years, I worked for somebody else. And then when I was at the 15 year mark, I left and started a satellite office of a firm as the managing partner. And that's been my journey for the past, I guess, eight, 10, 12 years. I'm really not great at math right now, but that's been my journey for the, the past over decade plus. And it's been such an interesting journey as a woman stepping into that leadership role with zero training, right? They don't train at you regardless men or women, but finding your own way as a woman in a leadership position um, has been such an interesting journey. And I know we'll talk about that, but that's really where I'm at now. And I know there's a lot of gaps to fill in there, but it's been a wonderful, hard uh, learning journey for me. And I, I wouldn't change a thing. That's a lot. I'm going to try to unpack that in a most uh, efficient and meaningful way here. So let me start by saying, you know, I love that you wanted to help people. And that's why I went to law school too. I didn't really know what that was going to look like. Um, so I was kind of open to how that would work. And that is still the journey now that I wanted to help people. That's really, truly at the core what I wanted to do. And I love that that's really what you also wanted to do and, you know, what you're doing. Um, I'd like to pause and just understand uh, what what did me- feminism mean to you then, and you know has your definition of feminism changed um, now with life experience? Uh, yes, it's definitely changed. So uh, it comes from really being raised by a single mom. You know, my mom divorced when I was like four years old. She had no education, uh, and she really struggled. We struggled. And I really was raised under that model of you need to really be independent and self-sufficient so that I I didn't want to find myself in the position that she was in, which was she hated her job. She only did it for a paycheck. We were paycheck to paycheck. And I didn't want to live my life like that. That was the underlying core driver for why I wanted my education, why I wanted to be a lawyer. I thought being a lawyer not only could help people, but could lead me to self-sufficiency. And that's where my feminism came out of. Because I saw her struggle so much and I did not want to live that life. And I did not want to struggle like that. And I thought that that's really the basis of my feminism. It's changed. Um, I was very much in the liberal feminist movement when I was in my, my late teens, early 20s. And that shifted over the years. I've seen feminism have done such wonderful things. For me, it's just feminism for me is about being able to do what you want to do, not what society tells you, uh, but what you really at your core makes you happy. And if that's a stay-at-home mom, that's great. If that's uh, working a full-time job, that's great. If it's having kids, great. If not, great. Like it's just no, there's no rule to it. It's really what you want and ignoring all of the noise outside that tells you what you want is wrong. And that's kind of always been my definition of feminism. But at the beginning, I think I probably rejected the stay at home. I think I probably had judgment around that. And I, and, and that's widened for me. So this is where I'm at now. I think it's really important at, to, for women to tap in to what they want and get rid of all of this crap that they've been told that they should want. And that's really the hardest thing to do because it's really hard to ignore the noise and focus in on that. But that's really, that's where I'm at right now. I see 
a lot of women lawyers doing the hustle and the working 80 hour weeks. And I'm like, do you really want that? I mean, I don't think men want it either. And that's a whole other discussion. But it, like, <laughs> do you really want that? Do you want the hustle, hustle, hustle? Because uh, I was in that. I was in the do hustle more, more, more culture. And I was not happy. I pretended to be happy. I pretended to want it because that's what I saw uh, successful lawyers do. But that's really where I'm at now. It's what do you want to do and tapping into that? And then how how do you make that happen in the real world? So that's my evolution of feminism in a nutshell. I love it. I mean, that is why, Patricia, I just knew we had to have you on the, the show, you know, because you just said basically embodiment of what I wanted to get across to women. You know, I wanted women to hear that whatever your dream is, is possible, whether it, it's small or being a stay-at-home mom, which to some people is not that big of a deal, like that's not really a dream, just something that you do. No, it is a dream. Being able to raise your kids and putting that as your foremost job, man, that, first of all, that's a hard job. Like when I'm home with my kids for a week, I'm like, holy moly, that's a hard job. But I wanted people to hear that whatever your desire was, um, that it's all possible. If you want to start a business, if you want to be the leader in a law firm, if you want to stay at home or take a sabbatical, like whatever it is that's within your heart is what you should be doing and follow that and don't let other people tell you that there's not a path. So that's basically exactly what you said. What uh, we've got to pause and talk about is what do you think, you know, this is something I ask myself all the time is, okay, you reach a level of a success you know that things are comfortable. You know that you're truly happy. Like right now, I love my life. I'm happy. Other than wanting to serve people, I do have to stop and ask myself sometimes, what is the driving force? So when you have seen and you've experienced, whether it's men or women, just in general in law firm life, what do you think is driving people to this hustle, hustle, work hard, work hard? Do you think it's the outside influence or do you think there's something about people's personalities? that they can't let off the gas? I can only really answer that question from my perspective. I think everybody has different perspectives. I know why I was so em embracing of that hustle culture. Um, and for me, it was out of trauma. I mean, to get real, it was a, a workaholic. Like, you know, when you, you have addictions to different things, some people have addictions to alcohol, uh, drugs or whatever. And I've had various addictions through my life and work was one of them. And when I stopped to look at why, why am I wanting to work more? Why do I want more billables? Why do I want to do this? It was really for outside validation because that's what I had seen. When I, when I grew up in the, the legal profession, a lot of what I saw as success were these things, were you know, people that were billing crazy amount of hours and they were at the office till 10 o'clock and they had you know, sacrificed their family. And a lot of it's kind of the male model of, you know, what I've seen lawyers do. And not a lot of women um, that I really have ex examples of. But for me, it was that. It was looking for outside validation. And it goes back to, you know, childhood trauma, generational trauma. And when um, and I just immersed myself in work in a way to avoid addressing that trauma and also to get that outside validation because I needed it. Once I healed that part of myself, 
And I started to really love who I was. I didn't need the wholesome culture. I didn't need the outside validation. I could start doing things for me and start doing what I wanted to do and not what I thought I should do. But that's really been my experience is underlying this was the need for outside validation, need for male validation, because you can get it in the law firm. If you want to go to a, you know, a traditional law firm and you want to go and bill 2,400 hours a year and you want to work till 10 o'clock at night, 80 hours a week, you'll get that validation and it's addictive. And when your boss is like, you're the best thing that's ever happened and you, you can, it's feeding that addiction. So that's been my personal experience is that um, the hustle culture and the, and the just doing, doing, doing uh, was in response to trauma. And so what, you know, when that outside validation came, like what was the, how, how besides attaboy, you know, pat on the back, what was the outside validation that you were receiving? Um, if you can pinpoint a few, few ways that the law firm was uh, validating your hustle culture and your hard work and your slaving away with all these hours. I mean, I know that comes in the form of bonuses and other things like that, but specifically, so when people can look for these trends within themselves. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is the, the verbal um, compliments, you know, or people putting you up as a pedestal for other associates. Oh, look what Trisha's doing, right? And and I could see that. Oh, look, you're doing so well. You're going to be promoted. You're on the fast track. You it, it does come in form of bonuses and 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 compensation, but really, it's more of, you know, you're on track for partner. You're the ideal associate. Um, we're going to put you on this committee. We're going to put you in front of clients. Um, it is constant reinforcement that what you're doing is is good. And I, you know, even to the marketing stuff, like what you're, you're, what you're marketing, here's what you need to do to market. And since you're doing it, you're good. You're the exceptional, excellent associate. And I would feed off of that and not stopping to think as, all right, all right, this is good for them. Is it good for me? <laughs> and I, you know, it was, once I stepped into that healing space, I could look back and say, that was not good for me you know, feeling guilty to want to put my child on the bus because I, that would mean I would not make it into the office at 9.30. You know, that's, that stuff's not good for me. Like it, I got validated when I would make it in by seven and, my, and I would dro- drop my daughter off at daycare or drop my da- daughter off somewhere that I wouldn't be able to put her on the bus. I would get validated for coming in. So I'd get that outside validation, but it wouldn't feel good. So those are the examples. It's a lot of um, compliments. It's a lot of people putting you on a pedestal and putting certain behaviors on a pedestal. And then you see what behaviors they don't put on pedestals. Like I remember overhearing my boss laugh at a female partner going, Oh, look who's pregnant again, her fourth child. She's not going to bill anything. Like you can hear stuff like that too. So I would think, Oh, being pregnant's bad. <laughs> like they think being pregnant's bad. Like you hear that stuff. So I got the compliments and I would also hear what they didn't like, whether directly from them or through the grapevine or off the cuff jokes. So that's really it for me. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know better to challenge that. I thought, well, they're successful partners. 
they know what's best. They know what works. So I need to emulate that versus trying to find my own path, which I've done now, but it took 20 years <laughs> to find my own path. The first 15 plus, it was mirroring somebody else's. And when I would mirror that somebody else's, it, it didn't work for me. And I wasn't happy. So when I found my own path, I was like, oh, wait, I can actually be a lawyer and be happy. <laughs> Go figure. So, yeah. So do you think if you had a true mentor, whether it be a male or female, that wrapped around a little bit more balance in there and that pushed you forward for working 45 hours a week instead of 80, do you think if there was mentors available doing that and helping encourage that balance of life that we would see a shift in in the structure and how people are treated? I do think you'd see a shift. I think the majority of it really, and again, this comes to my personal experience. I don't want to say that my personal experience fits for everybody, but um, yes, I do think it would be helpful. My personal experience is the most of it comes down to healing, individual healing. But if you could see a path, if somebody can look and say, oh, she puts her kids on the bus and she's home when they get there and she's not traveling for marketing, but yet she's bringing in business. How is she doing that? I want to do that. Like that is all helpful. Examples of doing things differently is really important, especially for women, because especially in the, in the rainmaker networking marketing aspect, you see one kind of way to market and it, it never worked for me. So if you could see multiple different ways to network and market and create business and you have different examples, you can find really what works for you. Or you can take little pieces of everybody's experience and create your own. So yes, having more examples uh, and different examples of how people are succeeding is really, really powerful. There isn't as many examples of marketing from a feminine angle, from a, um, I don't want to just say like a feminine energy angle, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I want to see more of that in the law. Like there's a lot of you need to go out and do and hustle. And there's also the opposite of being a magnet for clients. And that's very much like a feminine energy. And that is really what's needed in the law is how can people lead with their feminine energy and bring in those clients? It's possible. So have that example, to go back to your original question, <laughs> to have that example um, I think will open your mind up to possibilities. And then once your mind opens to possibilities, then you deal with the limiting beliefs of, can you do that? Do you believe that you can do that? Do you think you need to go and schmooze and do happy hours and stay out to two o'clock in the morning to get clients? Do you need to travel and speak to get clients? Like you don't. And but you're going to probably, once you see a mentor, you're probably going to come against your own limiting beliefs of what you're capable of. And that's where the healing comes in and really puts you on a path of success. Yeah. And, and I think as a starting point, it's important, really, really important that especially, okay, if, if you're out there listening and you're a leader, whether it's in a law firm or somewhere else, but if you're a leader, especially in a sales generated area, like a law firm where, you know, you're billing your time. That is a form of a sales. It is important for leaders to know they need to build in that balance in how they're creating a culture, how they're creating an image, because 
if they don't, women are going to exit and then we don't have the examples or the mentors available to us. So I think it really, we have to start with leadership, recognizing the problem and saying, we are going to build in some form of balance as a a virtue. I don't know what you would call it, but as part of our culture where that is something that, I mean, it doesn't have to be pushed forward. Like, oh, you know, look at this person, look how balanced they are. Okay, it's gonna look different for everybody. But in some way, wrapping that in, because then you're, you're, you're not going to have women staying around in the you know, higher levels and then moving up into executives. And, and, and that's what we really see in today's world. And that's a big problem. On your point about the feminine energy and how you draw, you know, uh, before we started, I had mentioned that I, I had breakfast with one of my neighbors and friends who is a partner to law firm. And she is uh, on the Rainmaker, kind of more sales development um, end of her law firm. And we were talking about that because in my um, non-podcast life, I have an insurance business where I also bring in sales. And we were trying to come up with ideas on how we could you know, do business development when nobody comes and asks us in social settings what we do. So it is vastly different as a woman because I know right away, everybody asks my husband, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Nobody is asking us. So there's not that door opener to even, you know, start talking about what you're doing and build up that relationship on the professional and not just the personal level. Um, What have you seen in law firm life with other kind of rainmaker business development women Um, have you seen that that's been an issue for them and how, you you know, you've touched upon, it has to be a different, it's kind of a different way on how we attract and magnetize. And what are you seeing on that end for women that are in sales? I would say the women that have been successful in sales, whether um, in the the litigation legal world or as vendors, um, whatever it may be, they've created their own door. They've created their own way to market. They've created their own funnels, <clears throat> excuse me, if you will. And a, a lot of it, I mean, we have social media now, right? They didn't ha- Women didn't have social media in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s, really. I mean, I know we had social media back then in the early 2000s, but really we have it so prevalent now that you have uh, the ability to go on a platform and be an expert and leader in your field. And you can have the opportunity to speak and however you want to speak about whatever you want to speak. And that's the magnetism of the feminine energy that you will draw people to you. And that's, you create your own doors. For me, I don't walk, I don't speak anymore without getting paid. Like I, I don't go to, you know, I used to go to, to conferences and speak for exposure. I don't do that anymore. Uh, if you want me to speak, you're going to pay me. And I I don't go schmoozing at dinners and happy hours anymore. I am primarily, I market through social media. I say what I want to say. I speak on the topics that I want to speak on and people are drawn to me. So people that see me and know that one, I can help them. Uh, I'd be a good fit for them. They get a good vibe or whatever it, whatever draws them to me, they come to me. I'm not going out seeking 
anybody. Uh, and I know there's just one example, but I see a lot of women doing that, using the power of social media, using the power of digital forms to get their voice out and speaking on topics and they're experts and people just want to work with them. I think that's incredibly powerful. I, I don't want to travel anymore. At least not, I mean, I used to travel all the time and I don't want to travel anymore, but I have lots of things to say. <laughs> and I, uh, <laughs> I have a lot of things that I want to say and I have a platform to do that now and I use it however I want to use it. I, you know, there was a time where I, it's mostly LinkedIn, but there was a time where I would follow the algorithm and I would, you know, follow the rules and stuff. And I even kind of um, pushed that to the side. I said, I'm going to post when I want about what I want. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's okay. Um, and I get my clients, they'll just show up. I mean, my new clients, they'll DM me. They'll send me an email and, you know, and say, hey, I saw this video or I want to talk to you about this. Or I have a lot of people, hey, does your firm handle this? And maybe I don't. So I pass it on to the person that is expert in that field. And it's beautiful because I work with people that I can actually help and that they know I'm a good fit for them. I'm not trying to sell myself. I don't sell myself anymore. It's really beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So it's the power of, you know, authenticity and knowing who you are. Um, and I think that can also be challenging when people are starting out is like, how do you step into that power? How do you step into who you are? Um, and again, it's really helpful when you have mentors or other people. If you had a Patricia in your life as a 25-year-old lawyer, I mean, you're probably going to be really fast-tracked on getting there and owning it and knowing who you are and knowing how to speak in a way that you know feels good to you and also pulls people in. Um, and I think that can be a hard, again, for a lot of people. And I go back to it because I really feel the value in mentorship and having the right people there. And I know a lot of people you know, look around and say, well, where am I going to find a mentor? Well, it starts with asking. I mean, honestly, you need to go in. If you see somebody that you think is doing a great job or you feel aligned with, you know, ask. Um, nine times out of 10, people are willing to talk to you, willing to open up, willing to share their experience, um, especially when they're really satisfied like you are with your career. I have not seen men or women, many people shy away from sharing how they got to be successful. <laughs> people, people love, love to talk to about themselves. So, yes. Yeah. And when you're, you know, and you can just, I can see you, I can hear your voice. I, I see your messaging on LinkedIn. And you're right. It's very clear that you're just happy and free with where you are. I think that comes through. And that's a sign of how, you know, satisfied and fulfilled you are with where things are. And you had to step and work and journey your way there. And, and that's the case for most successful people. And they are happy to share that. So if you're looking for somebody, if you don't understand the rules of the road, whatever industry you're in or how things work or how things operate, find somebody to talk to. People are out there and willing. You just have to find the right people. And if you're at a law firm where you can't, and you tell me, Patricia, because I only worked at a law firm for a year, but I think if you're at a law firm where you can't find anybody like that, maybe it's not the right place for you. <laughs> so. I can't agree more. And it's really, when you want to look for a mentor, you look around first. And who do you see doing what you want to do? Uh, or some version of it. Maybe it's not exactly. And if you don't see anybody, 
you got to really question where you, whether you want to stay at that law firm. You know, I run my law firm. I have this motto in my head that I run my law firm the way that I would have wanted to, to have been an associate at. And in our marketing meetings, when I first started being a managing partner 12 years ago or whatever, I, I kind of started managing the way that I was managed, which was in a toxic way. And my journey has brought me to the point of, I'm a completely different manager than I was when I first started. And where I'm at now, when we have our marketing meetings, it is individual approaches to marketing and network. It is taking everybody and say, what do you want to do? What do you enjoy? We have one person who says, Trisha, I, I hate speaking. I don't want to speak, but I love to write. I'm like, all right, let's let's talk about writing. How do you want to write? Like, It's really tapping into what they want. And if you're not seeing that individualized approach to not just marketing and network, but to litigation, or if you're in the litigation side, or where you want to take your career. Like, do you want to market at network? Do you want to build your own book? You don't have to. If you want to, is there somebody that's going to help you do that? If you just want to work and show up and litigate, that's great. If you actually don't want to be in a courtroom and all you want to do is write because you enjoy writing, is there a path for you at your firm for that? It is, if your firm is not, does not have a, a mechanism to, to amplify what you want and your special talents, if they're trying to fit you into a mold, then you're at the wrong place. Or at least you need to have a conversation saying and being really honest with yourself and being really honest with them. It, it, everybody has their own special gifts and very few people have the same special gifts. So if, as a leader, tapping in and trying to get really curious about the special gifts of your associates, and that's paralegals and admins too, by the way, and putting fuel on that fire instead of trying to fit them into what you think they should be is listening to what they want. That's a really healthy environment and as, as an associate to be in. And if you are in an environment where everyone looks the same, everyone has to do X, Y, and Z, and there's no individuality in that, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a sustainable environment. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, on that and going back a little bit to rainmaking and sales-driven and... Um, women being kind of the business driver, the business developer in that, you know, how do you think or what is one thing you've seen or learned along the way that would help women step into their value, own their worth when it comes to that? Um, Because I think in my experience, it's a little bit harder for women to push forward, you know, as an example, if, if you're charging, let's say you're really awesome, um, you know, M&A attorney, and you know that some of their firms are charging 1200 1500 whatever the going rate is now, and you want to move up to that rate too. As soon as a client says, eh, no, we've been billing, you know, we've been charged this, we're going to stick with this. I feel like it's harder for women to stick firm on that. Um, how do you see that? And and what do you think women could do to kind of bolster their position and their worth? And that may also go, you know, because you have done speaking and you do paid speaking and asking for a certain amount for speaking engagement. How do you think women could stand more firm in their 
owning their value and their worth and what they really want to be compensated. It starts really with your own internal work. Do you believe that you're worth 1200 an hour or whatever it is? I mean, do you honestly believe it? Because if you believe it and someone's not willing to pay for it, then you know that that person's not for you. And if you're second guessing or doubting yourself because somebody else is second guessing or doubting your worth, that's, that's for you to work through. I've done that work where, you know, my rate would be challenged and I'd be like, oh, they're probably right, you know. And I, it's because I wasn't holding myself up to that standard. I didn't have that belief in me that I was worth that amount. And now, and you have to practice it a little bit. (laughs) You have to be like, uh, no, I'm not doing it for that rate and just kind of grin and bear it and be okay with losing that client. Uh, getting rid of that scarcity mindset, like that you have to take every client that comes your way. You don't, um, you really do want the client that's not going to question your rate or your value. Or they might say, look, Trisha, that's just too expensive for me. I can't do that right now. Can you do this? I'd be like, no, this is my rate. This is my value. And I understand that you can't pay that. And there are other lawyers out there for you that will give you that rate. I'm just not that person. That's not, it, it's not a judgment thing. And it, it's not, um, they're not devaluing me because I won't let them do that. Like they, they they don't hold my value. I hold my value and I hold that boundary. So, and, and, and at this point in my career, when I show up and I, and they go, what's your rate? And I say to them, I don't know if it's just the confidence that comes through my own belief in my value that I don't get pushback anymore. Rarely. I mean, rarely do I get pushback on a rate. They might say, Hey, if you're billing 250, how about 240? I'll say, no, 250 is the rate, right? It's just, it's being really clear with yourself on what you're worth. And if women, and I do find this is the difference between men and women uh, at the associate level, is that you do find more women second guessing their own value and their own worth. And if they could do some of that healing work to really step into it and own it themselves, then the outside world will meet them completely. And that's the same with salaries too. If you don't believe you're getting paid your worth at your firm and you have an internal conversation that doesn't get you to where you want to be, then you need to go somewhere else. There is somebody who will see your value in the same way that you do. And they will pay you what you think you're worth. And they will do it gladly because they see your gifts, they see your talents. I think too often we stay in positions um, or say yes to the client who is not paying our rate because we think that that we deserve that somehow. You don't. You deserve your value. And if you know what your value is, you will eventually land up in a place that honors that. It's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, really. I mean, that's what it is. It's whatever you're feeling, whatever's in your heart and your mind, that is somehow coming through in your communications, how you speak, how you talk about yourself, how you present the number, whether you present it with full confidence or 90% confidence. And you have that little door opener because you have that door opener in your heart. So you're absolutely right. That is where we all have to do a better job and talk to. And I mean, I literally love anytime this even starts to approach a conversation with my friends or kind of my my network and uh, my mentees in life, I jump on it right away to 
bolster them up and say, no, this is why you're awesome. This is why you're amazing. Look at all the things you've done. Look what you handle. This is why you need X, Y, Z. Because sometimes people just need a little bit more confidence in hearing it and from a third party to take it in and believe it and sit on it a little bit. So whether it's looking in the mirror and just saying to yourself, you are worthy, you are worth it, you're awesome. I mean, it sounds crazy, but it works. It works. I mean, whether it takes 10 days or 200 days, it depends on the individual person. Um, But we also need to recognize that if we're in a leadership position, we're in a mentorship relationship, mentee-mentor relationship, um, talking to your your daughters, talking to your friends, talking to your friends' daughters, because I do that too. Uh, We need to tell people. We need to help them. Um, You think you say one positive about somebody and that's enough? Depending on the person, some people need to hear it over and over and over again for it to really you know, settle into who they are. Uh, but that can be hard for some people. And, 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 and you're absolutely right. It, it's just that, you know, sometimes women have a harder time. And I think that we see that in the law firm world. And I've certainly seen it in industry, um, in tech and other places where I've, I've worked with people. Uh, and that, you know, is why anybody wants to know what are their value, how to get it, you know, send me a message. I'm always happy to give feedback on that. I love, love, love talking about it because if you don't talk about it, you're just not going to start changing the tide of what's out there. I'll just add too, I love talking about money. Like I I love it. (laughs) I love money. This is my relationship with money. I love it. It comes to me freely. It comes to me with ease and not a lot of work. I have such a healthy, loving relationship with money. I will talk about it all day long, but I find people are uncomfortable with it. And I love talking to to women about money. Dollars and cents, not just esoteric ideas. Dollars and cents. How much are you making? How much is the other person making? Do you know what your competition is charging? Like, Let's talk about it. It's fun. It's fun. And if you can think about talking about money as fun, uh, and you know that earning money is fun. The next time you pitch your rates, it's going to be fun. <laughs> and then that energy comes through. So I, I had a woman uh, many, many years ago who worked, um, it was an associate for me. And during her review, she goes, you know, I don't really care so much about money. And I said, if that's true, good for you. But I want to tell you that it doesn't impress me. Like it does not impress me to hear that. (laughs) So if you think that downplaying your relationship with money is something that I'm going to love, I don't, I don't love it. If it's true for you, I want to honor and respect that. But I also want to challenge that too and say, is that because uh, that's really what you believe in? Or is that what you think you should believe in that you shouldn't care about money? I love it. So it's hard for me to find any, to, to, understand anyone who doesn't care about money, but um, everybody, there are people out there that don't. But yeah, I think conversations, real conversations. Let's talk about how much we make. Let's talk about what so-and-so makes. Um, and how are you feeling about that? Where are you at? Do you know how much everybody else makes? Like that sort of, those are, those are really great conversations to have. Yeah. And, and I mean, I will say that, you know, in the culture and the, the relationship that I grew up with my parents, we had a scarcity problem. I mean, we were, my parents, um, I didn't have a single mom, but my parents were just barely middle-class for most of my life. And so, you know, that was always at the forefront. I mean, my dad would sit and 
do bills with me in his lap, you know, and sometimes have to ask my grandparents for money early on. And my parents were young parents. Um, they got married out of outside when they were 20. <laughs> so uh, it's hard to imagine. I think about that when I was 22 and you had a baby and oh my gosh, no, wow. I was still crazy and young and didn't, you know, not mature enough for that. So, and they were paying bills. Um, but I think, you know, that all of that, all of our life and where we came from, and I've seen that even from extremely wealthy with people that grew up with a hundred million dollars and they have these weird, like you just mentioned, these weird things about money doesn't matter. It matters to everybody. And the reason you feel differently about it is because of how you were raised. And I had to recognize that in myself. Um, but I, to your point, we didn't, we didn't really talk about money. Uh, but I think what opened the door for me was that in, in, in law school, the top graduates going to top firms, you know, all the salaries are posted. So you could kind of like do the math if somebody was a fifth year associate or whatever, you could kind of guesstimate where they were on the track based on the starting salaries. And that just made it much easier to me to talk about salaries. Um, so for me, talking to some of my other friends that aren't lawyers, they don't always seem as comfortable. But at the end of the day, if people want to talk about how they're going to a negotiation salary. You have to tell me what you make and you have to tell me what you want to make. And it's not a big deal. I really don't think it's that big of a deal. And to, just like what you said, I love it. And it's almost like a little game for me. How much money can you get? Um, they're just not going to give it to you. You have to play the game. You have to ask for it. You have to negotiate. And people that are mad about that, more power to you. You have your own opinion. You have the right to have that opinion. I don't personally think that companies or law firms or whatever should just give you their top dollar right out of the gate. I mean, there's ranges for a reason. Um, and it's on us to ask. Uh, but it is fun. <laughs> and I have to say, when I have people counter me, I respect it. You know, I don't get offended by it. There are people in this profession that do get offended by it, but I do not. I respect it. I've had I've had admins counter me. Like it's not just the associate level, it's they know their worth and they'll come back to me and it's so respectful. There's Trisha, this is really what I need. And I and I be like, all right, let me process, think about it, and I'll get back to you. Sometimes I say yes, sometimes I say no. Um, but it's I, I have so much respect for that because that they see their worth and they're taking actionable steps to get that in, in a monetary form. So yeah, I I, I respect that. Yeah, I, I'll actually tell just a little story that. Uh, I know for everybody listening, Patricia also does investing in other things with her life besides uh, being uh, a legal maven. Uh, and so one time I was going to rent a VRBO and it was definitely the house that I wanted. This was just the house that was going to fit with their kids and all that stuff. And I went back and I knew I saw they didn't have the week before booked, the week we were looking or the week after. So I think, oh, I'll, I'll go and ask for 25% off. The woman came back to me immediately and was like, thank you so much. I'm glad you like the house. Uh, our prices are firm. We know whether it's now or in a few weeks, we're going to fill up. And I booked it, you know, because to your point, I was like, wow, she was on it. She felt her value and she knew what the worth of her property was and she wasn't going to budge. And I, honestly, I laughed out loud when I got it back. I mean, I really didn't want to pay that much. I really didn't. <laughs> but I was so proud of her that I was like, you know what? This is the house for me. I'm just going to put pay it. Um, and so once you start feeling that and you know that and you're comfortable with that, like you said, there's no hard feelings about it. 
it's numbers, it's sense. There's nothing really personal about it. Yeah. And if I say no to a negotiation and it leads you to go elsewhere, I respect that too. Like, yes, I've done that VRBO. I we we VRBO our our second home. And I've had emails like that. And I'm like, I appreciate you, but no. <laughs> so it's, and it's, it's really when you can get to that point in, in all of your uh, transactions and it can go to your time and go to money and go to time. No, I'm not going to give you that time. Here's, here's, here's my, here's what's available right now. And here's where I'm available for you. And I'm not available here. Like it goes across many things. What are you worth? monetarily, what's your time worth? What are you giving? What are you willing to give? What are you willing to accept? Once you know that, really, there is no limit to what you can do. Yeah. And ladies, I'll tell you something else that uh, my running partner is a real estate investor. He has his own REIT and all kinds of stuff. He has tons of properties. And I asked him one time when he is doing deals on like, um, you know, a hundred million dollar property, does he ever ask, for a lower commission rate from his um, brokers because he's doing a high volume and high value. So essentially for, you could argue the same amount of worth, you know, the broker would be getting more. And he immediately came back and said, no, why would I want to ask them for a discount? I like the job that they're doing. They should get paid what they're worth. The deal is the deal. And so look, these are the kind of clients you need. You need clients that are going to look at you in that way. And they are out there. You just have to find them. I mean, he said it, Patricia, so quickly and so fast. And that really stuck with me. Um, And we weren't, I mean, we were just shooting the breeze. This was just a casual conversation. But I filed that away as how you work with people, how you present yourself and how you treat other people. And that also has flowed over into how I do business and how I ask for things from other people. And, you know, the more successful you get negotiating and asking for a little discount and the back and forth friction that that causes, it's not even worth my time most of the time. Um, So, you know, you just go for it and leave into that. I'm so with you on that. We don't negotiate with vendors. I mean, if you tell me your price and I can't pay it, I can't pay it. Like, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and nickel and dime. I, I just don't nickel and dime. And that your example is so spot on for women who want to have their own book, lawyers that want to have their own book of business. If you deliver value and there's so much opportunity to deliver more value than your competitor to your ideal client or your client, they will pay your rate because the value you give them is so far above and beyond what other people are able to deliver or you're just the perfect fit for them that you they won't do that to you. And the client that nickels and dimes you isn't the client for you client who won't see your worth isn't the client for you anyway. And that goes back to, you know, like I had the same scarcity mindset growing up and, uh, you know, in a single family household that I've had to shed. But when you have an abundance mindset, you know that there are a million other clients out there, or there are a million other partners or a million other firms that will see your value, that you don't need to take every crumb that's put in front of you. You can pick and choose. And it's such a lovely space to be in. Um, it took, I honestly took me a long time to get there. I'd love to help women get there faster, but it is really a beautiful space to be in when you know your value and you can say no and move on very quickly. Amen to that. Seriously. So the other thing I wanted to talk on, uh, because you're the leader, you know, managing director at your firm. And I know that your 
you know, working to allow women to lead in their own way, work in their own way. How are you doing that? Kind of, I know that it was an evolution for you, but how are you doing it now? And how uh, is it working out for your firm and the females in your firm? Well, I think the women, I, I want to say they're excelling and they're excelling in, in ways that work for them. I have women lawyers that want to market and network and I have ones that don't. I have ones that are um, that work choppy through the day because they have, maybe they're putting their kid on the bus or maybe they're going to a soccer thing in the middle of the day. And so maybe they work early, take a two hour break, work mid afternoon, take a four hour break and work at night. I have women that work six o'clock to like three o'clock. It's really the flexibility that allows them to do what they want to do, but it's really not pigeonholing them. It is addressing again, what they want and then giving them the flexibility and the power to do what they want to do. So I have women who don't want to network and all they want to do is litigate. That's, that's what drives them. They love solving problems. They love solving disputes. And that's really what litigation is. It's, um, it, it, it's bringing some finality to a dispute and they love that part of that. So, um, it's really taking an individual approach. We have from a process standpoint, we have different compensation silos. We have different paths that you can choose. And each silo has a goal. Like we have someone who just wants to litigate. That's a silo and that has its own salary ranges and its own metrics. And then we have um, people who just want to market and they don't really want to litigate. That again, its own salary ranges, its own metrics. And then we have other categories, the people who want to want to learn to market but really don't know how. We have the traditional, you know, rainmaker business partner model. Um, and then we have somebody who maybe is really experienced who doesn't want to network and market, but can, can manage a book a b- business. So there's different silos that people get to choose what they want. And I'm finding that working. It's a year and a half into this new system. But if you can give people choice and give them the flexibility to design their life and their career in a way that works for them, they will succeed. We are still under a traditional billable model. I don't love it, but it's what we have. And we're, I'm working on ways that we can change that. I'm not there yet. So there's still some of the traditional legal model that I don't love. Um, and that's challenging, not just for women, but for men. But Overall, I find the women succeeding because we, and men too, when you give women flexibility to do what they want, men benefit as well. And I find that men are even taking up that um, example. We have some men that have had kids lately and they're there for the birth and they're there for the raising of the baby. And they like being there for that. And because we have that a flexible environment, they get the benefit of that too. So that's how we succeeded. It's all flexibility and individualization to what people want. And if you can give that to them, they will succeed. Are you guys allowing um, women part-time opportunities as well? Is that part of the scheme or is that kind of more difficult? We don't have any official part-time in in the traditional sense. So like we have one of our silos is the Rainmaker silo which is a significantly lower billable requirement. Um, But you are tasked with certain marketing metrics, certain leads. You have to have a certain number of leads. You have to bring in a certain amount of money. Um, So it's not necessarily an official part-time, but your billables are significantly lower. It kind of mirrors maybe a little more on the part-time side, 
to give you space to do the marketing and networking. Um, so that's really as close to the part-time that we get. Uh, and I find that it's working. We have, I'm, I'm in that model. We have another female partner in that model bringing in revenue. You need people to bring in revenue. And if you have people that that's their primary purpose is to bring in new clients, uh, it's, it's so valuable. And then you also need people to work on those clients. So it's a symbiotic relationship amongst, uh, lawyers in our firm. We partner people together that have opposing strengths, benefits men and women, but that's really as, as the part-time is that we get. And then if you have a much lower billable requirement, you choose what you want to do in the marketing and networking front. And then that's your time, whatever you choose to do. Yeah. And so for women that, you know, want to build up their own voice like you have, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's in doing a newsletter or something else like that, you know, how has that worked with your firm? And were they, obviously they're supportive of it for you, but did you go in with a um, discussion initially or how did that work um, so that people could understand, you know, what they're trying to do from a personal branding standpoint that it's not going to deter them in their company? Well, I just did it. So I didn't really ask permission. Uh, and I've had some discussions over the years with people that have been concerned with some of the things that I talk about and post about on LinkedIn, but it's legit concerns. And I'm happy to entertain those conversations. No one's ever been like, you can't do that. <laughs> some people have been like, I was kind of concerned with your post the other day. It might implicate this, 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 and those are great conversations to have, but I just did it. And I am a big proponent of ask forgiveness, not permission when it comes to stuff like this. So I think you just do it. And maybe you start slow and maybe you start conservatively. Maybe you start talking about things that aren't really controversial, right? And, and then you see how that goes and you just let your journey unfold. Like that's what it was for me. I didn't start out. Like I, I talked about when Roe v. Wade was overturned, I talked about it on LinkedIn and I got a lot of pushback for that. It was like, oh, you can't take a stand because there's clients on both sides. I'm like, but it's my voice. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be silenced. I understand that it might turn people away. I didn't start out that way. <laughs> you know, when I first started posting on LinkedIn, it was all legal stuff, very conservative legal stuff. And then as I got more comfortable and I got really comfortable in my authentic voice and saying and speaking the things that I wanted to say, it, it gets easier. So I would say, just do it. Just start conservatively. If you're concerned, start talking about, you can post cases. You can talk about important cases in your network or cases that are important for your clients or developments that are important for your clients and what that means for them. Talking about your clients' pain points, it's always a great thing. If you've worked with clients, you can be five years out of law school and have exposure to clients and you can know what their issues are. And if you can talk about that, just start and just see if your managing partner is going to have an issue with it. <laughs> I mean, they're probably not going to fire you at first. They probably would be like, come in here. I want to talk to you. I don't like your LinkedIn posting or I don't like your TikTok posting or whatever it may be. And if at some point your firm's view don't align with what you want, you have to have really honest conversations with yourself. But that's, I think you just do it. Yeah. And, you know, what I have seen from other people that have done something similar is that typically it ends up, maybe not initially, but typically it ends up bringing in to your traditional business um, clients. I think you know, it's very clear when you're talking about legal work and you're building up uh, your expertise on that. 
in social media, that of course is going to kind of be a magnet for that. But in talking about the personal stuff, talking about women and career and other things, I think even that uh, can bring in clients to your traditional work, whether it's in insurance, whether it's in law firm, whether you're selling widgets. Uh, it gives people a personal understanding of who you are. And like you said early on in the conversation, that understanding of who you are can often attract clients to you who just want to work with you in some way or another because they like the authentic person that you are. So I, I think consider it in that way. If you have to talk to your company about it, it, it really shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, ultimately, it can result in positives for yourself, business development, and the company. Um, so if you frame it in that way, uh, there, there shouldn't really be a big concern. And, and the reason I ask is because I was talking with another lady that I know that um, kind of has kept her podcast hush hush because of concerns that her her company would find it in conflict. And honestly, it's not really anything in conflict <laughs> with her company. Um, and so I've been trying to encourage her that like, if you want to grow it, you've got to promote it. And keeping it hidden is not going to do anybody any favors. Um, so I'm trying to get her over that fear factor and uh, how to speak to her company about that. Uh, one of the last questions I wanted to focus on is, you know, balancing work, life, motherhood, you know, what has your experience been? And, uh, you know, what tips would you have to share with other people? And have you had any regrets? I've made mistakes, um, but I don't have regrets. I've made a lot of mistakes that I've learned from and have led me down different paths, but I don't regret any of them. You know, I was, um, at my 15 year mark, when I was working for another firm, I was up for partner and I got turned down. I was devastated, but it led me to leave. So, you know, the greatest thing that ever happened in my career was rejection. And it took me down that path. So I'm at a spot now where I don't, I'm not litigating on the day to day. So I have a lot of flexibility and freedom because I'm in that rainmaker category. And if you're a, a woman, I would say this to any lawyers, if you want flexibility in your life, really work on that building that book. And once you get even just a small book, you know, I'd say anything like $500,000, it's not that hard to do. It really isn't. Once you get that, you have power and flexibility to dictate your life. And I know it's not for everybody. It just happens to have been my path. And I have complete flexibility now. So... I, if I, I take my daughter to school every day and I'm here when she comes home, if she has something and it's important to me, this is important to me to be a present mother. It's also important to me to be a working mother and make my impact, not for money. I do love money, <laughs> but money is a side effect for me because I want to make an impact and I want to show women that this idea of you can have it all, it's just the wrong question the idea of what do you want, really getting clear with yourself and then going after that. That's what I want to help women see is capable for them. And if you don't want to work 80 hours, if you don't even work 40 hours, there's still a space for you in the law firm. There's a really great space for you in the law firm. You can carve out any space that you want at the right place. And if you can't find the right place, maybe you start your own place. But anything is possible. 
And that's why I continue to do the work that I do is really to inspire other people. But it, it is important for me to be here for my daughter. And I prioritize that. So I do not schedule meetings before nine o'clock, you know, and I don't schedule meetings from three thirty to five o'clock if I can help it. I mean, obviously if there's something out of my control, then yes, but that's when my daughter gets home. That's when I talk to her. How is your day? Can I help you with your homework? That stuff's important to me. So, um, but I'm also not, I'm not subject to court hearings, right? So I bring in enough of a business that other people really do the day to day and I, and I oversee it. Um, and that gives me the flexibility and the power to, to, to dictate what my day is like. So I don't know if that's really the tips, but <laughs> um, it does not, it's not hard to build a book. It doesn't take a lot of time. That is crap. You can do it easily. If you, if you really tap into who you are and what you can offer clients, your special gifts, and you can somehow get that out there in the world, the clients will come to you. And it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of effort. It's if you're in the right mindset, you can do it. I promise you. If you need help, just reach out to me. I can I can talk to you about that. That is so gracious. And I will say what I found, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure that you will agree, is people want a partner. They don't really want to be looking for somebody to work with on every new matter that comes up or every new business. I found this in insurance um, in insurance brokerage, I mean, I think that there's so many similarities between insurance production and law firm production. And I just found that people want somebody that they can trust, that they know that they're going to get good feedback, that they're going to get authentic feedback, that they're going to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. They don't want just a sugar-coated picture. And once they find that in you and that you care, they will come to you over and over again. That gives you the opportunity to shepherd them into whatever division of your firm in whatever group and whatever expertise that they need. And you can be the point person, the quarterback, the rainmaker. So by just being a value, you know, that's often the value uh, because it can be hard. You know, people are, have blinders on. They're like, well, I just do this. No, your client needs you to be the door opener for all that they have in legal or all that they have in insurance and risk management and once you can do that, it doesn't mean you're you're the expert on everything, but if you're the person that they can just call, they don't want to call 50 people and they don't want to call five different firms. So that is how you can get your value and create those relationships and start building your book. Um, and, and, I, and I find, and I interject to that, I find just to be stereotypical for a second, women make excellent rainmakers. Women on average are really good listeners. And prospective clients, they have issues. They need someone to solve their problems. And if you can actually listen to what their problem is, instead of coming in and telling them what their problem is, but if you can listen, uh, then you can create solutions for them. They really do. I, mean, I, I, I The women rainmakers that I come across now, a lot of them have those, those soft skills that are just, I think, missed. In we, we don't teach them as, and, as much in, um, in these kind of industries, but that soft skill listening is so huge. So yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I think it's, no. women make excellent rainmakers and I imagine it's probably in your industry as well, make excellent salespeople because they have the yeah, ability. Yeah, but we need more. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need more. I mean, that's what I talked to one of my other friends that has a uh, insurance-focused uh, uh, podcast 
he loves highlighting women because he's like, his wife is a professional, not in insurance. She does high-tech medical sales. And he is like, she is even more awesome, more genius, more everything than I am. Why can't we get more women like this in insurance production? And like, it's a real problem. So I see the same thing in the law firm. Like I said, there's a lot there. One, the last thing I wanted to highlight and touch upon and, and get your final thoughts on was something that we talked about um, in our prior conversation while we were prepping for the podcast on you know women attorneys escaping the shoulds in their life and leaning into the wants um, and letting go of the things of, of should you want to be a partner? Should you bill this much? Should you take equity, um, an equity partnership? Should you come back to work after X amount of weeks after birth? should you take a sabbatical or should you not? Um, and so what is kind of your final thoughts that you would like to give everybody on um, letting go of those things that kind of, you know, the world is telling you, you should want and you should do. And how do you um, break free of that and just do what you want and what's going to make you happy? I mean, it's easier said than done when I say this, but it's to get rid of all the shoulds. I mean, it's really just to identify them you can identify them in your thoughts, but really to get rid of everything that anybody ever told you about what you want out of life. If you don't want to be partner, then don't be partner. That does not mean you're not a good lawyer. You know, having that label doesn't make you a good lawyer. Um, you know, you don't want to be equity. Don't be equity. Like, and if you don't want to come back from maternity leave, don't come back. Or if you want six months of maternity leave instead of three, you ask for it, you go for it. I love just getting rid of shoulds. And it's hard. It's hard, not going to lie, <laughs> because there's a lot of outside pressure in, especially in the legal profession um, of what you should want. You should want the partner track. You, and then when you get the partner track, you should want equity partner and you should want a million dollar you know, worth of clients. There are all these things that you should want and you should want to go speak and you should want to blah, blah, blah. I mean, you get just millions of shoulds. But if you can just get rid of all of that noise and really tap into what you want, uh, it, it will empower you and lead you up to the life that actually turns you on and brings you joy and desire and fun and happiness. Um, when I had a lot of my shoulds, I felt weighted down. I felt stress and pressure and anxiety. And then when I got rid of all that societal expectation to really tap into what I wanted, that's when the desire and joy started to come in more. So get rid of all the shoulds. Absolutely. Yeah. And ladies or men, whoever is listening right now, just know that that is what life is about. That is why we are where we are today. We have all these choices. We have technology. We have the ability to create the life that we want that works for us, that is going to bring us joy, fulfillment, success, happiness, all the things. We have the ability to do that. We just have to understand what we want and not what social media, our neighbor, whoever is giving out and we don't have to follow them. We don't have to keep up with the Joneses. We don't have to keep up with the law firm partner. We have flexibility and we need to recognize that so that we can find true, deep happiness and satisfaction. That is really what life is about. And so with that, I want to thank you so much, 
Patricia, for coming on. This has just been, I mean, so amazing. I honestly wish I could reach out and give you a hug because I've loved this so much. (laughs) I'll give you a virtual hug. (laughs) Yes, I know. And I want everybody to know that this fits. This is so impactful for many industries, for many careers. This transcends, transcends the law firm life. So if you really think about what Patricia has offered today, this translates to many, many, many other places. So don't listen to this and just think, this doesn't fit me. If you really listen in, you can see how this has application for wherever you are. And that is why I really wanted to talk to Patricia um, because all of her guidance, all of her experience uh, is so valued and has such a great perspective. And I really think, Patricia, in your next life, um, you can take this in a package and go to law firms and help other law firms see the way that we can be doing things that can make a marked improvement for the firm by retaining women and giving them all these other opportunities. Uh, Because women do have a unique voice, they do have a unique perspective, and they work in a different way, and we really need that balance. We cannot continue to hemorrhage women professionals in the work in law firms as doctors, and insurance professionals and as, you know, university leaders and all the other areas where, you know, in the last two years, we've really been hemorrhaging. So thank you for sharing all of your experience, all your guidance. Uh, Remember everybody, it's all within you. It starts with what's in your heart, what's in your mind and what's, you know, what you believe about yourself. You can get there. You are made for more. Remember to start acting like it today. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Keep getting clear. Thanks for listening in. If you loved what you heard, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with your friends. Tag us on social media so we can give you a big shout out. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want more, head on over to the website where you can learn all about what we do to serve and support our entire community. Until next time, Keep dreaming big and getting clear. You are made for more. So start living like it today.